Well, if you have your Bibles, find uh, John chapter 12. Um, have you ever had a job where um, you weren't sure what your boss was expecting of you? <laughs> wow, that hit a little close. Yeah. I see that hand. Um, so I had one of those jobs. I was, uh, it was the summer between my uh, junior year of high school and my senior year of high school. And uh, it was at a place called Showbiz Pizza. Anybody? Showbiz Pizza? Yeah, all right. Four of you. Uh, I, I think, uh, we, we were talking earlier this morning, we, we think Chuck E. Cheese may have bought Showbiz. Yeah, that's... They're like Anyways, the same thing. this was in the, yeah, it's basically the same thing. So was, this was in the 80s. Um, yeah, I'm that old. And um, so I got this job, and I get hired, and I'm in the kitchen, right? And uh, they give me this, what I could best describe as like a three-foot-long fork, right? It was just long fork. And my, the, the manager tells me, make sure the crust stays flat. That's the only instructions I get. <laughs> So, I, you know, you put the pizza, like the pizza oven's like 2,000 degrees. It's so hot. And um, so they put the pizza in one end, it comes out the other end. So it comes out the other end. I'm looking at it. It looks okay to me, right? It looks like pizza. What's it supposed to look like? Manager comes in and loses his mind. He's like, what are you doing? I told you to make sure the crust is flat. Well, like they had some, some places where the crust had like risen, right? And he was just out of his mind about this. Well, I didn't know this. There's a door on the side of the oven. You open, and my, I was, what I was supposed to do was look inside the door, and when I saw the crust rising, take my three-foot pitchfork and pop the bubble so it would stay flat. And he was, just, he was, he was upset with me, but I, in my defense, I had no idea what the pitchfork was for uh, or that there was even a door on the side of the, of the oven. It created quite a bit of confusion, and I think probably... Part of my punishment, they, instead of Chucky, instead of the mouse, what's the mouse? Mouse's name? Chucky? Yeah, I think it's Chucky. They, they had a bear suit, like Billy Bob was the bears, I think. It was a long time ago. And I had to wear that suit as part of the punishment, I think, for not. And because it was a news store, I had to wear it. It was like this, oh, it was so hot. And, the, and that giant plastic head, and I had to stand on the street yeah, in that giant microwave oven yeah. head in the July heat and wave, and I like that. So that, that was one place where I was... Uh, we should make a bet. Oh, no. If the Patriots lose, you have to wear the suit again. <laughs> I'm, not you know, I'm not really worried about that. This, so. this is the Tom Brady fan right here, fan club. Yes, I'm the president, yes. Now, no, everybody's about to get up and walk out, because yeah. I know nobody... Yeah, like the Patriot. But anyway, that that so that idea. Anybody else ever had a job where you just like I have no idea what the boss expects of me, and you're like, I can't be the only one. I know Brad back there owned it a moment ago. Sometimes when we gather uh, as a church, we sometimes assume that people know what Jesus expects of us. And uh, today we're actually going to find mm-hmm. out what does Jesus want. What what is the expectation? from uh, our king. And so I want to pray for us and then we'll, 
we'll read our text and, and get right in here. Father, thank you that we've uh, been able to gather here and sing this morning. And as we look at your word, uh, I pray you would bring some clarity to this question of what it is, Jesus, you want from us at its core and what that means for us. Um, and that more than anything, you would be glorified today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John chapter 12, we got to the end of, uh, well, not the end, but it was verse 20, 21, 22. We had started, we had picked up kind of in the middle of the story, if you will. There were some Greeks who came to Jesus. They wanted to meet him. They wanted to talk to him. And it's interesting because the text sort of just cuts it off. Well, at least we don't have a response from Jesus. Jesus just turns in verse 23. Here's what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's where we stopped last week. We didn't get to talk about it that much, but we just talked about the significance of the hour in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the hour means this is the moment that Jesus' whole life is pointing towards. The hour is his crucifixion, but not just his crucifixion, his resurrection. So hand in hand, he says, there's a day coming where I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again, and that's my hour. That's when I'm going to do this great work that's going to atone for the sins of mankind. And so Jesus says, now my hour's come. It's been up until this point. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. He says, now my hour has come. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, I'm sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So our first question, we actually have a series of four questions we're going to answer today as we work our way through the text. Our first question is, what does Jesus want from us? Like Vic was saying, you know, we we don't want it to kind of be hanging out there. And Jesus never leaves it hanging out there. This is a question that he's answered from the beginning. In fact, in his first call to his disciples, do do you know what he says? I want you to, I heard it, follow me. I want you to follow me. So what does Jesus want from us? We answer that question this way, follow him. What does Jesus want from you? He wants you to follow him. It says clearly here that, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's speaking of his life, but he says, here's what you have to do. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. That's our cue. And, and, and really, it, it feels like we've lost a little bit of the punch of that in the Christian life, Right? We, um, in fact, during this series, we've talked about the fact that John says uh, that he wrote the book so that you would believe, Mm -hmm. right? So that you would believe Jesus is the Christ and that in believing that you would have eternal life. And there's something for, for us that's a little passive about believing, right? You can believe and not do anything. But here's, here's what's interesting about, uh, the gospels in John, the word believe and the word follow are the same. Yeah. There, there is an active thing about the belief in Jesus that Jesus is starting to unpack here in uh, this part of chapter 12. In fact, if you go back over John and look at the use of the mm-hmm. word belief, you'll see some people that believe, 
that aren't following. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, so Jesus says, here's what it means yeah. to follow me. What's required? That's our second question. What's it required for us to follow him? And that answer to that question is death to self. What's it mean to require? What does it? <laughs> I'm tripping over my words this morning. Please. I'm sorry. What is required for us to follow him? Death to self. Yeah. And so I have a question. Okay. You look at verse 25 and it says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. What's it mean to hate your life? So in this world, in this world, I, and, and it doesn't, this is what it doesn't mean. Okay. This doesn't mean that you have to hate everything. Like you don't own any possessions. You don't enjoy anything. It, it, that's not what it means. Shave your head and become a monk. Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> this is what it does mean. It does mean that you hold everything in this world like this in hands like this that say, I don't need it. I'm enjoying it, God, thank you for good gifts, but I'm gonna hold everything in this world like this Mm -hmm. and know that if Jesus needs it, he'll take it. And that really the only thing that matters is Jesus. You love Jesus so much that your love for everything else looks like hate. (laughs) So that makes sense? And that's what he says in Luke 14 when yeah. he says to uh, his followers, hey, you're going to have to hate your mother, <laughs> your brother, your sister, your father. You're going to have to hate them in order to follow me. And, and you know, everyone's looking like, like what? I can't hate my mom. What, what does that mean? I have to hate my family. But that's, it's spoken in a way in which the love in which you have for Jesus is such to a degree that everything else almost seems like hate. And, and, the, and the idea of death to self is one that runs through the entire New Testament. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says uh, um, that we're to offer ourselves as living Mm -hmm. sacrifices. Well, here's the problem with a living sacrifice, right? It's always crawling off the altar. Mm. And, And that's typically what we do. That's why it's this, we continually have to come back to this idea of dying to self. Uh, and then, uh, so Jesus lays that there, and um, let's look at uh, some more verses here. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. And, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Let, I want to stop right there for just a second and, and think about this. In verse 27, now is my soul troubled. We, we mentioned this last week. So the one who has existed prior to creation, right? John tells us in the first chapter of this gospel that something bigger than the universe is here. That one, that word that has become flesh is troubled in his soul. And what does Jesus do? He turns to the Father and he... he has a prayer request. And the prayer is this, Father, glorify your name. And then here's the response. A voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said that it had thunders, uh, thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. 
So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. This this what people mistake as thunder is actually the voice of God. It's one of the few times we have recorded in the New Testament where God audibly speaks. And John says, this is the Father saying. We, we have the recorded words, the, the Father saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And some of the people there hear thunder. And we think, well, that's, come on, pay attention. That's got obviously a voice. Well, here's the problem. God has spoken to us. In fact, he's speaking to you today. This is, this is God speaking to you. And, and the question before us, every time we, we open this book up and put our face in it is, are we just hearing thunder or noise? Or are we actually hearing the voice of the Father as he's speaking to us and saying to us, this is what... Uh, this is what I have for you. This is how much I love you. This is the requirement for you. This is what I expect of you. Or, or are we like the crowd here who have this expectation of a Messiah that's not what he is? Yeah. And it is a demonstration of the love that God has for the Son, God the Father has for the Son, in that he answers Jesus' prayer in that moment. Because you think about where Jesus is right here. In verse 27, he says, now my soul is troubled. And Vic alluded to that, but let me just expand on it a little bit. That Greek word there for troubled, you'll see it pop up in several other places where it means extremely terrified. Jesus isn't terrified, but there is a strong, strong um, nuance to this word. It is like, you know, where Jesus, when he was in the garden uh, later, this is after this event, uh, he's praying and he prays and he's sweating blood. That's the, the sort of agitation the soul is under at this point for Jesus because he's anticipating the hour, again, the hour of his crucifixion. And he says, but for this purpose, I've come. And you can think about this, if you were facing death and you maybe have been around those who have faced death, there's different attitudes I've been around a few this past year, and I think about how different it was for each person as they were looking at you know, their mortal selves there in the mirror. And they were, you know, some people when they face death, it's, it's sort of denial. Uh, this can't be happening. Or it could be stubbornness. It could be muscling up your strength to face what's ahead. It could be kind of sucking it up. It could be like some people, it's just let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Yeah. But for Jesus, when he was anticipating his death, it was agony. Why is that? Why was Jesus, when he faced his death, that he was so troubled? Well, for Jesus, he hated death. Have you noticed that? Hmm. Every funeral he went to, the person who was dead ended up alive. Every funeral in the New Testament that he went to, that person came back to life. Jesus hated death. When he created us, when he created people in his image, he didn't create us to die. That's not the way that we were created to be. We're, we're of ultimate worth because we're in his image. 
And so our culture wants to sell us on this. I'm going to go off for a second. Our culture wants to sell us on this idea that like death is natural. I'm going to start, you know, now, now I've got to hit, hit the Lion King, you know. And yeah. Do you know the song in the Lion King? How that goes? The Circle of Life? You know that one? You guys know this movie, oh, right? Yeah. Come on. All okay. right. Circle of Life, you know, like, hey, everybody lives and then we die. It's the Circle of Life. And Jesus says, no, it's not the Circle of Life. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Sorry, I just hated on the Lion King. That's all right. Because look, <laughs> Jesus is going to the cross to fix what's wrong. Yeah. And he's agonizing over this because, listen, uh, one commentator just put it the best, way better than I could ever put it. He says, beyond all the appalling physical and mental sufferings of death by crucifixion, Jesus must also face the Father himself. Hmm the one to whom he has been inseparably bound for all eternity, but not in the warm embrace of everlasting love, but in the terror of his holy and righteous wrath. So Jesus was troubled. Indeed, he had reason to be. And so the father hears Jesus' prayer, and it's much like the prayer that he teaches his disciples, the Lord's Prayer. Remember how that starts? He says, hallowed be your name. He says, here, Father, glorify your name. May your name be high. May your name be what everyone hears and sees in my life. That's Jesus' prayer. This is what characterizes a life that says, not, your, not my will be done, but your will be done. That's what it looks like to hold up the Father's name like that. And it's interesting. So we, we've given you two questions so far. What does Jesus want? He wants us to follow him. What is the requirement for that? Is his death to self, if we're going to live a life where we follow Jesus and glorify Jesus, Jesus, we have to die to self. It's interesting that Jesus is showing us the pattern, right? He says to the Father, glorify yourself. How does he do that? Well, he answers that question. When I am lifted up from the earth. He's talking about the kind of death he will die there. And remember last week, we talked about this idea that the people are looking for this military leader to come in on a war horse with a sword. And what, what Jesus is saying here is swords don't glorify the Father. Sacrificial love does. And, and he's about to lay down his life for these people who are about to turn their back on him. And it's, it's that kind of death to self that Jesus is saying that's what it takes to follow him, right? So ultimately it's obedience. Right. It's obedience to the Father. For him to say, for Jesus to say, I am agonizing over this moment, but then he immediately moves back to this idea, before this purpose I have come. Yeah. It's this reason that God has sent me into this world, and no matter how hard this road is, I'm going to walk down it. And so for us to live in obedience to the Father, to die to ourselves, it means for us to say, Lord, whatever it means in our lives, we're willing to walk down that road. I was talking to a friend last night, and he is in a really hard spot right now. He's in his first year of marriage, and it's really, really hard. And they're just having, they, they don't, not sure how to make this work. They're both Christians. And he said, you know, it all comes down to this commitment I made to Christ. And in this commitment, he's 
he's told me to be obedient, to, to, to live a life of commitment in marriage. And, and I said, that's it. I said, no matter how hard it gets, you stick it out. That, that's, we're, that's what commitment is. And I think it's obviously in our culture not always um, highlighted or important. The, here, here's the problem. It's easier in our culture to quit. It is. It's easy to quit. It's easy to not commit. It's easy to commit and then change your mind. And you, you all know that. You all live in it. You know, it's the, it's the maybe box on Facebook. <laughs> right? We, we, we laugh, but that's it. That's, that exposes our heart as a culture and a people. You, if you don't know what I'm talking about, in Facebook, if you have a Facebook event where you, where you invite people and there are three options, yes, I'm coming, no, I'm not, or maybe. Well, maybe is the worst. If you've ever done an event, that's the worst answer. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, where we, that's where we are, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's just easy for us to just say, yeah, maybe. And, and uh, this idea of committing, of saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow to the point of death is just, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the, the requirement is death and the, the way you know you are dying to self is obedience. And as Jesus moves on here, when he said these things, he departed and he hid himself, which Jesus does a lot, right? And Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And these words, when they hit us, they sound hard and harsh. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Wait, what? I thought Jesus wanted them to believe and now John is telling us they can't believe because it sounds like God's hardened their heart. Well, Isaiah, if you go back and read Isaiah, the first quote is from Isaiah 53, it's verse one. It follows Isaiah 52, this description of the suffering servant, which is Jesus. And then the other one is a quote from Isaiah six, where Isaiah has been called as a prophet to the nation of Israel, who, remember, God saved them. The exodus is this story, right? It's, it's, uh, God goes into his people who are captive and he sends a a redeemer, Moses, and they follow Moses and God does, this is gonna sound very familiar by the way, God does all of these signs and the people are like, oh, this is kinda cool. All these signs are awesome. And then they get, God has delivered them. Pharaoh has come to him, the Egyptians have given them all their gold, all their, their silver, and they're standing at the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army behind them, and the people are gripped with unbelief. 
after seeing all these signs. And then God, God steps in again, parts the Red Sea, they go across the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army is completely wiped out. And you would think, wow, that's a people that are going to love God and follow God and cheer, and they have become <laughs> disobedient. They're grumbling. And that's the group of people Isaiah is speaking to. He's saying, Israel, they're not just grumbling. They've become Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And there's a danger for you and I that we become Pharaoh. right? We, we get so used to hearing it, and we want God to be kind of a genie in the lamp. Right? God, you give us what, you know, you owe me because, you know, I went to Awana and I know my <laughs> verses and I, you owe me. And, and that's, that's, that's not it. And what, what, this idea of hardening, mm -hmm. God hardening that, what, what does that mean? Because that just sounds mean. Yeah, it does. It's something that confuses a lot of people, but it's really pretty simple because what we often have on our lives is really God's kind of restraining grace where he is allowing our hearts not to be hard. That's how we can listen. We're all dead people, right? That's what the Bible says, that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And we need the resurrection of Jesus in our life. We need Jesus to come and pump back blood into our heart and make us alive. And so for dead people, we, we, we've got to have some intervention by Jesus. And sometimes what Jesus does is he says to, to certain people, he says, okay, if that's the way you want it, we're really going to get into this next week with Judas. Yeah. He says, okay, if that's the way you want it, you can have it your way. And that's the story of Romans chapter one, if you want to read through that to give you a little more context of what, what that looks like. He says, you know, he, in Romans one it says that he gives them over to their, to their own way. It's, it's Pharaoh who says over and over, no, I will not believe in this God because I am God. Yeah. And God says, okay, if that's the way you want it, you can have it that way. And his heart was hard. And, and again, what Vic said, it's, I pray this prayer over my children all the time. Lord, let their hearts be soft because our, our hearts can become hard towards God. Just sometimes, you know, through an event that happens in our life that we misunderstand, we can't figure it out. God, where are you? And, and like, you know, it can happen a hundred different ways. But we can be left on the other side of it saying, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if this God is worth it. I don't, I don't know if I can believe this. And our hearts can become hard. And Jesus, I mean, this is literally his last public yeah. discourse in right. the book of John. And think about what he leaves them with. He says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light. Just believe. That's what John's been saying all through his gospel. Just believe. And that's his call for us. And so, if you're keeping track, the three questions so far are, what does Jesus require? Follow. All right. Um, what, I just is, what is required? Thank you. What is, what's required? What's, how, what's the requirement for following? Death, Death to self. How do you know you've died to self? Obedience. Obedience. How do we know if we're obeying? That's, that's the last question. How do we know? How do we know if we're obeying? Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many 
even of the authorities, believed in him. All right, so there's the belief. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Hmm. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. If you're going to be obedient to the Father, it means that you live for the glory of God and not for man. The, the reality is you cannot obey God and fear man. You see it right here, th- this idea of belief that not grounded in an active following, right? John uses the word. Many, even of the authorities, believed in him. Like, they believe these words. Like, you can't, you cannot deny, mm-hmm. right, what Jesus has done. And John tells us, I only recorded, like, seven of the signs, in fact, if I wrote them all down, there's, we don't have, there's not a library big enough to hold those books. There is no denying the power he has, the authority he has as a teacher. And so they, they look at that and go, well, yeah, I kind of believe what he's saying. But man, I really love the praise of man and I fear men. And, and what he's saying about dying to self. Oh. When I was in high school, I took a trip. Uh, it was my senior year of high school, I went with a group of people from our church to um, this really remote town in, um, in Zambia, Africa. And um, when I say town, it's not a town, it's a village, I guess is the best way to describe it. It's one of those places, you know, sometimes people ask, what about the people in Africa who've never heard, like those people like way over there? And that was one of those places. Um, It was very difficult to get to, it was hours of like travel off a paved road to this place. It was a really incredible experience, one that's I've never had anything experienced like this before. Our team went there. We were there for two weeks. We were helping helping a missionary couple who had been stationed there and just trying to share with the people the story of the Bible. And they started with Genesis. These people had never heard of the Bible, never heard of any of the stories. They started with Genesis. They started working through the book. And they told story after story for a year. So they got to the story of Jesus. So when we got to come on the ground with them, that's where they were. They were here at the story of Jesus. It was like, yeah, we got to be there for the fireworks. <laughs> Everything had been leading to this. They had heard about the lamb. They were, they were really confused. You know, like, so do we need to be sacrificing lambs now? They, you know, they had heard that in, in the Old Testament. That, that was the way that the people, um, uh, you know, uh, repented of their sins was to sacrifice a lamb and so here we are we're telling the story of Jesus just getting to hang out with the people trying to support the work that was happening and it all culminated in that final story where the missionary said listen we're going to show this video we want everyone to see the life of Jesus just come the whole village I want you to come and literally you know the whole village is there so imagine this you're a whole community of people whether it's you know your whole school or your whole college, your whole workplace, your whole town, 
They're all gathered in this place. The missionary stands up to preach afterwards. And he says, let me make it really easy for you. The call of Jesus is to follow. It means to repent of your sins and to come after this man who died on the cross and then rose again. That he died on that cross, taking your sins on himself. He, he died the death you should have died. And he lived the life that you could not live. And everyone, you know, is zeroed in on what's happening. They've all truly been moved by these stories. And then the missionary does something, you know, where it kind of gets awkward for me. And he stands up, or he's been standing up, but he, he goes over to this side and he just starts drawing a line on the ground with his foot. And he works his way across. There's a hundred or so people standing there. He works his way across and draws this line. And he says, that's the call that Jesus has for you to come and to follow him. And if you're here, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have you do that. And the missionary calls that out and two or three people start walking across that line. Can you imagine in front of your town, in front of your village, in front of your college, in front of your university, just to say, that's me. And it's the, probably the most biblical picture I've ever seen of truly to step out in front of everyone you know and do what Katie did yeah. this morning. To say, I'm following Jesus. When you know, in baptism, you go under the water, it's, it's symbolic of your death. That you go into the water, you're buried, and then you come back out, and there's new life. And so these villagers, there wasn't a lot. It wasn't like one of those stories where everyone in the village came across and walked across the line, but there was these, this handful that walked across the line, they said, we want that Jesus. And we saw a, a couple ladies who came across the line, and when they did, they took off these bracelets they had on as they walked across. And afterwards, we were like, What's, what was that? Like, they like, walked across the line, and as they were walking across the line, they threw off the bracelets. And we said, what does that mean? What, like, why were they doing that? And the missionary said, I didn't expect that. I didn't know that was coming. But those bracelets symbolize spirits that they worship, their ancestors. That was the worship that they had known their whole life. And they said, in that moment, what they were doing is they were renouncing the worship of anything else in their life in order to follow Jesus. So that's the call, the same call that's being made to us. Will you follow Jesus? Will you surrender everything in your life because he's worth it? Even if everyone in your village is looking, are you saying it's not about the glory of man, it's about the glory of God? I'm willing to die to self to follow him. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you would be a person who would walk across that line, 
I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm, if, just, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're like, that's me, I've never committed to follow Jesus. Let me just do this. We don't usually do this, but let me just do this. Anybody in the room this morning, that's you. You want to look up at me, just kind of raise your hand. I, I, like, I need to follow Jesus. I've never done that. I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. If that is you this morning, you, you call on his name. You ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you say, you get my life, Jesus, all of it. And maybe there's some of you in here this morning, you've been holding on to parts of your life and you haven't surrendered everything. Jesus is saying, you have to die to yourself. To follow me, you have to die to yourself. And you need to do that. You need to just say, Jesus, okay, here it is. Take this relationship. Take this thing I've held high in my life. Take this job. Take my future. I'm giving it to you. We're going to sing this song. And I pray this truly would be the prayer of your heart. Jesus, we commit our hearts and lives to you. May it be true that we surrender everything to follow you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.